seated. Take out your Bibles, please, and open them up with me to the book of Acts. We are in chapter 13 today. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Acts chapter 13, if you're new to Calvary Chapel Surprise, we study through God's word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We are in the book of Acts. The chapter is 13 and roughly verse 44, I think, is where we're going to jump off today. But (laughs) just as a reminder, for those of you who have been with us as we've been studying through, and maybe just uh, to bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us, uh, the beginning of chapter 13 kind of is a transition in the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, as as Luke recorded it for us. And we mentioned this last time, that in this transition, the focal point, the central point of the church that's being looked at, moves from Jerusalem to a city named Antioch. The focal, I guess, the the ministry that is focused in on shifts from Peter and the other apostles there in Jerusalem to Paul and Barnabas now, but Paul specifically as we continue. And the, the, the target audience, if you would, shifts from the Jewish people to the Gentiles. Now, that does not mean that Peter retired and they stopped giving the, spreading the gospel to the Jews. No, we'll see that continuing too. But the focus in the book of Acts. And we saw that last time, that as the church there in Antioch had gotten together and they were worshiping the Lord. We talked about the fact that they, it says that they were ministering to the Lord in their worship and seeking him, desiring to hear from him. It says that the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, separate for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have specifically called them to do. And as we continued to read on, we saw that that work was to share the word of God, to take the word of God out. And we began to follow their journey as they left Antioch, went to the island of Cyprus for some work there, then came back onto the mainland. And we find ourselves today, they're in this town, Pisidian Antioch. And last week we looked at an event that took place there. They went as they was their custom, and we're going to see that regularly. They go to the synagogue, and on the Sabbath day, they do as they always do in the synagogue. They read from the Old Testament scriptures. And when they had gotten done with that, they turned to Paul and Barnabas and said, do you guys have anything that you'd like to share? And Paul jumped all over that opportunity and said, you bet I do. <laughs> and he got up and he shared, and he went through a history of the Jewish people. But then he talked about, you know, again, through that history and the pointing of the coming Messiah, and then he identified clearly that Jesus is that Messiah that they've long been waiting for. And he brought it all together, and I want us to look at, starting going back a few verses, verse 38, as he brings his message to them to a conclusion, it says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could never be freed from through the law of Moses. Tying that together, he issues them a challenge. Don't turn away from this. Don't walk away from this truth. And, and the, the, after that, he was done with that, we talked about the fact that the, there was a little bit of a mixed response. No doubt some of them flat out rejected that as he warned them not to. Others received it and started following Paul and Barnabas to learn more 
But others, it said, a great multitude of them begged them. Notice that word that is, that is here in verse 42. They kept begging that these things might be spoken again the next week. Something was stirring in their hearts about the message that Paul had delivered. And they begged him to come back. And that's where we pick up today in verse 44. Acts 13, 44. Notice it says, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> one week later, it says nearly the whole city. Now, as we mentioned, Antioch was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire at that time. This is Pisidian Antioch, a different Antioch, but no doubt still a large city. And it, so it doesn't mean that 95% that of the population turned out. It's, it's a statement to say that a massive group of people came back the next week. And th there's no way they could have all fit in the synagogue. So there's this huge group of people that come. And I want to point out something right off the bat. Notice why they came. They didn't come to hear Paul. They didn't come to hear Barnabas. They came to hear the word of the Lord. And they didn't come because there was some big billboard on the side of the street with Paul's face on it saying, come to the synagogue this Sunday or this Saturday. Why did they come? Why did all of these people come? They didn't listen to a podcast. They didn't get a CD handed to them. Why did they come? Because those that were there the week before heard the word of God. And they said, there's something about this that is totally different than anything else I'd ever, I've ever heard. I go to synagogue all the time. I've never heard anything like this. But something stirred in them, and it was the word of God that stirred in within them. The truth of the word of God stirring in their hearts. They said, I got to tell my friends. I got to tell my neighbors. I have to tell everybody I come in contact with about this. And because of that, this massive group of people turn out to hear the word of God. Guys, I can't underscore that more importantly. If you're an underliner in your Bible, underline that. To hear the word of God. That is what they came out for. And guys, the same thing that was going on back then is going on today. The world is tired of being lied to. And when I say the world, let's never forget that the world is made up of individuals. We can look at this thing and say that the world, you know, you've heard that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, all of this type of stuff. In the world is made up of individuals. And those individuals are tired of being lied to. The, they're, they're so, all of this stuff, the world knows, these individuals know that what is being propagated, what is being said, doesn't make sense. I look at some of the things that are being, that are being just put out there as truth, as whatever, and the world, the, these individuals are saying, you know, I've, 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 the world says, if it feels good, do it. But the individuals in the world have said, I've done it. I got the t-shirt and my life still stinks. I still have no direction. I still have no hope. I still have this guilt. I know that something's missing. The world says, you know what? If you wake up today and self-identify as this particular gender, use whatever bathroom you want. You know what the individuals in the world say? That's crazy. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. 
back in, back in the 60s. Free love. Just go out and share it with everybody, just everybody, you know, and all of this stuff. And that led to the Jesus movement. Why? Because the word of God, when people heard that, they said, you know, we've been doing this, this drugs and free sex and all this kind of stuff. And it, it, there's no joy in that. There's no truth in that. But when they hear the word of God, the, 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 the explosion of the Jesus movement came out of that culture at that time because they heard the truth. And the friends that heard it, they went and told their friends and said, you got to come listen to this. you got to hear this. And when they heard the word of God, it radically changed them. Guys, the world wants the truth. The individuals in the world want the truth. The Bible says in Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And the, the, the flip side of that, in not keeping them, there is great distress, great heartache. And like I said, guys, it's not, it's not like the world doesn't understand that. The individuals in the, with it, that, that we come in contact with day after day, they understand that. The Lord has written his word, his laws, on every individual heart. He's given everyone a conscience. And everyone understands this and knows this deep down, individually. That's why they turned out. There was a message of hope that was given. You mean I don't have to carry this guilt around with me anymore? You mean I can be clean and pure and righteous? I don't have to carry this guilt and this shame anymore? Jesus took the guilt and the shame. We've talked about this word last week, justified. A word that Paul used when he was sharing this truth about Jesus with them, justified. We stand before a holy and righteous God as if we'd never committed a sin because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And the world wants that message. But the enemy doesn't. The enemy doesn't want that message to get out. Look what happens as they share this. They begin to share the word of the truth. Look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, speaking to the Jews and the Jewish leaders, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Guys, the enemy's not just going to roll over. <laughs> He's not going down without a fight. 
the, the word that Luke uses to describe the response of some in the world is jealousy. And it's interesting when we look at jealousy and we understand that word, it's the same word that meant the same in the Greek as it does in, in English for us. Jealousy, coveting something, desiring something, pridefully longing for something that belongs to somebody else. And it all goes back to the beginning. The glory that is due God alone, the worship that is due God alone, Satan wanted. And so he desired to go after that and to do it his own way. And it all goes back to that. And it all goes back to, again, that the word of God has the power that nothing else has. There's power in the word of God that is not found anywhere else. And the enemy hates that. There's freedom in the grace of God. There's hope in the forgiveness of God. There is joy in the peace of God that is not available anywhere else. And again, the enemy hates that. So what is he going to do? Because he is prideful, because he is jealous, and he, and he has these certain people that, that, that is in, in the sinful nature and people that same desire is to contradict the word of God. That's what it goes right back to the beginning. When he said, did God really say that? And if God really said that, is that really what he meant? <laughs> and if that's what he meant back then, can't we say that today it doesn't mean that? Because after all, times have changed. Things are different today than they were back then. Same lies, same enemy. Contradicting what was spoken. Notice again, they weren't, he wasn't contradicting Paul. Contradicting what was spoken. Contradicting the word of God. And Peter talks about this. We spoke a little bit about this on Wednesday night. If you're not familiar, we have a midweek service on Wednesday. We go through the Old Testament together there, and we were in 2 Kings. And we talked about this a little bit, but Peter tells us that in the last days, in the days that you and I are living in now, mockers will come with their mocking and saying, oh, you guys, you Christians, you've been saying the same thing. Ever since the beginning, it's always been the same. But you guys keep saying, where, where is his coming? You ever have anybody taunt you like that as a Christian when you talk about, man, we can't wait till Jesus comes and, the, you know, and talking to sharing about Jesus coming back? They're saying, you Christians have been always saying that. Everybody, anybody ever have that? Ever hear that? If anybody ever says that to you going forward, they say, you're talking about that, and they say, oh, you Christians always say that. You say, dude, you are fulfilling prophecy. The Bible said you were going to say that. But they come directly against the word of God. Peter goes on to say it's coming against the word of God, mocking the word of God. And he gives two references of what they mock, creation and the flood. Sound familiar? Why is it still back in Peter's time and still today that the, the enemy, those individuals in the world coming against the word of God, mock those two things? Because if creation is, is a fact, and it is, that means there's a creator. And if there's a creator, that means all of us are accountable to him. Nobody wants that. I don't want to be accountable to a creator, so I'm just going to pretend he's not there. Guess what? That doesn't work. You can pretend gravity doesn't exist all you want. I suggest you don't jump off a building. And the flood. 
Why do they push away against a flood? Because it tells us as in Peter, God judged the world with a flood. That means if there's, a, if there's a creator and he's a judge, that means I'm not only accountable, I'm liable for everything that I've ever said or done. And again, the enemy in the, but pushes against that, fighting against that, trying, coming against the word as we're sharing this with those individuals that, again, are saying, I'm tired of all the lies. The enemy's going to keep throwing the lies. We have to understand that. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In that notice, it says all, all scripture, everything that is in here. Every word inspired by God. Literally, God breathed every word here. But as he continues on, and he says that every word in here, inspired by God, is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. What's the implication in that? That we all need to be taught. That we need to be reproved. That we need to be corrected. And again, the enemy is going to come with pride and say, so you're saying I'm not righteous? Ever heard that? Who are you to judge me? I'm telling you all of this, guys, because, again, as we boldly go out and share the word of the truth, we got to know what we're up against, what we're going to face. The world is going to reject Jesus for a myriad of different reasons. But it all comes back to pride. It all comes back to submission to the lordship of Jesus. The, the, the enemy's going to push back against that like he has from the start, and he's going to push back to that in the individual, lives of individuals because if I follow Jesus, that means my relationships with other people are going to change, and I just as soon hold on to this bitterness and animosity that I have towards that person. Because if I'm forgiven much, that means I have to forgive much, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not all into that. But notice, they did not change the message. They didn't soft soap. They didn't, they didn't dance around it. Notice it says they spoke out boldly. See, it was necessary that the word of God, notice again, it comes back, the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it, they, did, they didn't pull any punches. It said if you reject this truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the only way. You reject that truth, you are considering yourselves. You are, say, you are unworthy of eternal life because there's only one way. There's only one way. So we see the response of their enemies, but notice this in verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, because they're saying, you, you are rejecting this truth. We're going to take this truth elsewhere. Great lesson in that, by the way. When you, when you share the truth with someone, you share Jesus with someone, they give you a hard time, they mock you, they push you away. It doesn't say, okay, quit. Keep praying. Keep, keep sharing. But keep on sharing with others. Keep going. Because like I said, we can't... We can't say that everybody's the same because of that. Again, the world is full of individuals who are tired of being lied to. So he says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying, notice again, the word of the Lord. It's penetrated their hearts, this living word of God. And they're glorifying 
praising God because of his word. But notice what it says next. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. As many as been had, had been appointed to eternal life believed. Here we come to a, an interesting topic. <laughs> appointed to eternal life. What does that mean? As many as who were appointed to eternal life. Well, turn with me if you would. Keep your finger here because this is an important little, little jump off point that we have here. And many... I'll tell you, a lot of pastors, teachers, people that are sharing this, avoid this topic completely, scared of it to death. You know what? I actually like it, and I hope you, at the end, understand why. But keep your finger here and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And beginning in verse 1... Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, traditional at that time to begin the letter with who wrote it, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Here, back in, back in Acts, we saw the word appointed. Here we see it in 1 Peter. Don't leave 1 Peter. We're going to stay here for a little bit. Chosen. That, that word chosen, it means chosen. Intimately, personally selected. Individuals, again, individual people personally selected. And here we get into this discussion which commonly referred to as election. And the two sides or the difficulty that we face is the two pieces of this, the sovereignty of God, which means God is sovereign. He is in absolute, complete, total control of all things. That's what his sovereignty means. But on the other side of the ledger, on the other side of the equation, is the free will of man. Our ability to make our own choices. And this, this discussion has separated and actually caused great division within the church. One side that commonly referred to as Calvinists believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. He predetermined everything before it even started. Every, every action that you do, every thought that you have, all of that God predetermined ahead of time. Predetermined certain people to go to heaven, certain people to go to hell, and it's all just wound up and we're just along for the ride. The other side says, no, God is not that sovereign that way. He kind of started the whole thing, but it's all left up to us now as to the decisions as to how we go. And the two sides are very divided. Let me tell you, the truth of God's word that we are going to come back to again and again and again tells us that it's not one or the other. It's both. How do you reconcile those two things? How do we bring those two things together? Well, the first thing I'll tell you that we don't do is apologize for the fact that they both exist perfectly together. Jesus didn't apologize for it. He said in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, the sovereignty of God the Father. But notice what he says next. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Anybody who comes, I will not turn away. All that the Father give me will come to me. 
J. Vernon McGee, many of you know and love who J. Vernon McGee is. He's, you and I, he said, are down here and we don't see this into the machinery of heaven. I don't know how God runs that computer of election, but I do know this. He's given you and me a free will and we have to exercise it. Chosen, Peter tells us here, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And bear with me as we dig in here because I think this is where it really starts getting, and I love this. Foreknowledge, that Greek word is prognosko. And all of you know I'm not a big Greek scholar, but I love this because it tells us that is a compound word. It means before to know. Pro means before. Gnosko means to know. To know beforehand. Now, some people take that word then and say, okay, I get it. I get it. God looked through eternity into the future, and he saw all of us who would pick him, and then he chose us. Kind of like getting the final scores, you know, going into the future, getting the, the winners of the next 100 Super Bowls coming back. That's not what it means. That would, again, place us in the driver's seat. God looking ahead to see all of us really smart ones who'd get it, you know, and, and, come to, and then he picked us. That's not what it means. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, For grace, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So how do, what does this mean? To foreknow literally means to set your love on someone in a personal, intimate way. Foreknowledge of that, here it is, guys. God pre-thought, predetermined. Each one of our individual salvations, he predetermined to set his love on you. Let that sink in for a second. Before God created the universe, he predetermined to place his love on you. We can hear that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we say that God so loved the world and we lose the fact again, like I mentioned earlier, the world is made up of individuals and every individual is that precious. You are that precious to God that before he spoke everything into existence, he determined to place his love on you. So much so that before we even have a thought of him, he sent his son to die for us. That's what foreknowledge of the Father is. Now, before we move, move off of this, please understand this because this is important. Election, foreknowledge, all of those things does not imply the rejection of the unchosen. That's where the other side gets off the rails. God chose us, places love on us, predetermined that the rest of them he was going to hate and throw in hell. That's not at all the truth. D.L. Moody, I love his way. He says this. He says, the elect are the whosoever wills. The non-elect are the whosoever wants. <laughs> Guys, man is not lost because they were not elected by his choice. Man is lost because of the sin committed by their own choice. Paul tells Timothy, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Notice, all men. That's God's desire is that everyone 
would come to repentance. Everyone would come to know the truth. God's foreknowledge does not infringe on our free will. God lays it all out, how he determined to place his love on us, but then he lays out how that happens. First of all, the word is spoken. It is shared. How do we hear? How do we know without hearing? How do we hear without a messenger? But once that message comes, it's up to each individual to receive it or to reject it. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. This de God's design to place his love on us, we accept it in faith and then sealed by the Holy Spirit. Peter continues, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit at work, convicting of us our sin, drawing us to that, that understanding that we can't save ourselves, leading us to Jesus sanctifying us, setting us apart, redeemed by Jesus, sprinkled with his blood. We touched on this again last week, justified. Jesus hung on the cross. His dying breath, he said, it is finished. Paid in full, complete. At that moment, every one of our sins, past, present, future, atoned for, paid in full. Again, if you, are, if you have given your life to Jesus, trusted in him and him alone for your salvation, you stand before a holy, righteous, almighty God, blameless. Now, as we continue, it's still in 1 Peter. Look how he continues from there. We'll, we'll start again. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love this section to help explain this. And this is what, again, I want to bring it together. And I hope, I hope you love it as much as I do at the end of this when we're done. Because notice, Peter does not even spend anywhere close to as much time as I just did explaining election. He just states it as a fact. This is how it happens. I don't understand it all. But then he goes, jumps into the full effects of it. God determined to place his love on you before he created the world, and look at the effects, grace and peace. Grace, unmerited favor. God pours out his blessings on us, not because we earned it, but because he loves us. Peace, the peace that passes understanding. Beyond what the world can get peace with, the peace of Jesus poured out to us in the fullest measure. I love that. Because my fullest measure is pretty big. But it falls way short of his fullest measure. And that's what he pours out in his grace and his peace. His mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. A living hope. The world needs hope, guys. An inheritance. 
the rewards that are waiting for us in heaven, imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. (laughs) Not affected by the housing market, not affected by the stock market. Absolutely assured for us, reserved in heaven for you (laughs) who are protected by the power of God. Guys, the, the effects, the results, grace, peace, mercy, living hope, assurance. Now, you might be here, you might be one that <laughs> says, you know what, I, 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 I'm, I'm not good with that. I need, to be able to, uh, I need to be able to comprehend this. I need to be able to embrace this truth fully. I'll tell you, you're not alone if that's you in this room. But let me challenge you with something with that because this, that, I, I've heard that argument before. We use stuff every day and we don't think twice about the fact that I don't get how this works. I mean, it blows me away that I can go home later on this afternoon and I can turn on my television and I can watch a live event from the other side of the world on my TV. No idea how that's going on, but it's working. And just because I don't understand it doesn't mean I'm not going to do that. Forget it. My friend John introduced me to this app the other day. WhatsApp is what it's called. And I can literally hold a button record either a video or an audio, as soon as I let go of that button, boom, it is sent to the designation, which in this case is a man named Philip who's in Myanmar, a pastor over there. Instantly, he gets it. I'm not kidding you. The other day when he was showing me this, 30 seconds later, we got a response, an audio message back from him. I have no idea how that works. None. (laughs) But it does. I saw it. (laughs) Guys, I I guess my whole thing is, this whole idea about God placing his love on you from before he created the foundation of the earth, but you have to make a choice. Guys, instead of trying to have it make sense in our puny little heads, let's embrace it in our purified hearts. This... (laughs) This amazing truth that the creator of all things determined to place his love on you. And because we are all sinners, because of that sin, there is no way that we could be in his presence. He said, I love them so much, I have to take care of that problem. So he had sent his son, his only son, to die in our place. Paul writes this, for to those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, as we go through that progression... As Christians, and as we've even talked about this now, we can kind of piece those pieces together. He foreknew, he predestined, he called, and then justified, as we've talked about. But notice this last one. It says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glory is what happens when we're there with him. If you're a born-again believer today, all of them have happened up to that one. We don't... We don't 
we're not glorified until we're with him in heaven. But it's such a done deal in God's book. It's written in the past tense in Romans. Again, instead of saying, well, I don't, I don't get that. Well, let's just look. Keep, he continues on. He says, what shall we say to these things then? If God is for us, who's against us? Guys, again, that's the hope the world needs. The world says, the whole, everything's against me. The world needs to know, hey, guys, God's for you. You embrace that truth, what does it matter? Now, back in Acts, <laughs> notice verse 49. I love this again. The, the enemy's coming. Sharing it anyway. Those who the Lord has gone already gone before, working on hearts, preparing hearts, they receive the message. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. The word of the Lord. Guys, that's the fourth time, in case you're not keeping track, I kept track for you. The fourth time in six verses, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. But, verse 50, the Jews incited devout women of prominence in the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I love this. Again, just a little quick. The enemy's not going to stop. It's going to keep coming. we got two great little points that we can remember as we look at this as to how we handle that. As we're sharing this, as we're going out with this amazing message that we have, that the world's got to hear. And guys, we're the, we're the team. Notice when the enemy comes, verse 51, shake it off. And verse 46, spread it out. Speak out boldly. Shake it off. If the enemy's going to come. Know that. I'll just tell you right now. It's going to happen. Shake it off. But speak it out. Keep going forward. Keep sharing. And the disciples were continually filled with joy. Again, the word of the Lord here is mentioned four times in six verses. And I want to circle back to where we started. Guys, that's the key. That's, that's the key to this whole thing. The word of the Lord. Because the world is tired of being lied to. And Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Leave that up there. Let's say that together. Would you watch it up on the screen? Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. That means it never changes. His word never changes because he never changes. How many people want to have something that they can stand on that they know is not going to change? Let me tell you, everybody. I, just, I saw a recent poll. Perhaps you've seen it. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know it was in excess of 70% of the people polled thought that both candidates for president are liars. That's awesome. 
guys, the word of the Lord is true. We read through all of the things that tells us about God's word, but it's settled in heaven forever. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Guys, we can know that's true because it's in the word of God and his word is settled in heaven forever. If you are a born-again believer here today, Jesus said nothing can take you out of his hand. We know that's true because it's in the word of God and the word of God is settled in heaven forever. The word of God that is settled in heaven forever tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never trusted in him and him alone, you are, you're not born again. And you want to know, well, I, I want to know if I'm, if I'm one of those chosen, if I'm the elect. Here's the deal. Accept Jesus right now and you're elect. You're chosen. <laughs> Let's settle it right now. <laughs> but for, for the rest of us too, as we t t get just spend this time together now, let's worship <laughs> this God who determined before he created the universe to place his love on you. Let's pour that love back to him in worship today. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we, <laughs> we are again amazed by you as we spend time in your word today. Father, that you, though we don't understand it, and we certainly embrace the truth that we don't deserve it, you chose before the foundation of the world to pour out your love on us. And if you're here today and you have never, never embraced that love, you have never taken that step, I encourage you right now to simply respond to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to your heart, no doubt. And you simply from your heart say, God, I, I know that I am a sinner. I know my life's not pleasing to you. And I know that I need a savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are that savior. I believe that you paid my debt. And I want to stand before you now forgiven of all of my sins. So Jesus, I ask you to come into my life right now. I ask you to come in and do that work right now. Wash me clean. Forgive me of all of my sin. I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I don't want to feel the shame anymore. I want to know I'm forgiven. I want to know I have eternal life. I want to know I'm born again. I want to know that, that you placed your love on me. Jesus, we thank you for that truth in all of us. Lord, we thank you for the truth that your word never fails because you never fail. Lord, we thank you for your, your blessings, your grace. <laughs> Lord, that are so far beyond what we could even ask or think. And Lord, in response to the truth that your word bears witness to in our hearts right now, that you 
You determine to set your love on us, Lord. We determine in our hearts right now to pour that love back to you. In, in worship, in song now, yes, but Lord, in worship with our very lives as we leave here today, Lord, we worship you now with all that we are. Pray that you are pleased as we worship you together.